Welcome to the Bible Q&A Podcast, the show that answers your questions about the Bible, Christian theology, and church history. This podcast is brought to you by Risen Ministries and Creation Today. Now here are your hosts, Tim Chafee and Eric Hoven. Welcome to Episode 9 of the Bible Q&A Podcast. I got to tell you, I am excited about the questions that we're going to answer on today's podcast because one of them, I had never even heard a couple of the options for answers was blown away when I realized, oh my goodness, the one that's the most extreme is the one that's most likely. I'll let you hear about that in just a second. Tim, how's your day been? It's been one of those crazy days, if you've ever had those before. I woke up, uh, as soon as I came out of my room, I heard a loud noise outside and it sounded like some glass shattering and went out there and realized we had a big ice storm and our tree had collapsed and part of of it was lying on on the van. So um, had to call homeowners insurance and car insurance to try to figure out who covers that you know when it's something from the property that falls on the vehicle and if you're wondering if you guys have ever had to deal with that or you might have to in the future homeowners does not cover the tree falling onto the vehicle it would cover if it fell on the house or on the garage and any personal items except for the vehicle the vehicle all of that goes through the car insurance now you know now you know i had the same thing happen where a couple limbs came down on my minivan and uh, mine was totaled though. It was some big, giant, like, you know, 18 inch diameter limbs, two of them at a time that came down on my van. It was crazy. I'm just glad it was the van and not the car. So uh, I don't know if my wife yes. feels the if same way, but know, I'm happy. There's <laughs> one vehicle that has plenty of leg room for a guy that is six foot 10, but you can't <laughs> no. sit in the back seat behind the driver whenever this vehicle has somebody get, six foot ten in it and what car is can, that that has great leg room tim well you keep making me taller i'm about six eight six nine six but, eleven uh, and a half and uh <laughs> i don't know if somebody that size would fit in a camaro but six eight does six eight does and it's a camaro and he likes that uh for the oh yeah room. all right well what do we fun. got today eric hey some great questions jason asked what about ethnicities and people groups as they relate to the bible and i think this is Probably that general question uh, along the lines of where did the, the different people groups, where did the, many times it's referred to as where did the races come from? So let's tackle that one first, Tim. Yeah, and you said many times it's called races. I, I think um, a lot of our listeners would know we don't really like using that term uh, because from our uh, worldview, if we start from Scripture, all of us go back to Adam and Eve. We're all one blood is what Acts 17 tells us. Paul tells us that. And uh, we're all one big family. Can't say happy family because not everybody's happy, but (laughs) (laughs) I wish it was. Yeah, me too. Um, But uh, it's one, uh, we're all one blood, one human race. So there's one race, the human race is how we look at it and that we're all related. Um, uh, So I think his question, yeah, how how do we get these different people groups or why do we have these different ethnicities? And uh, those that are familiar with uh, biblical creation and the, the different models that we have, uh, for example, it answers in Genesis, um, where where I uh, work full time. Um, we we have what's called the seven seas of world history. So you have creation; God creates a perfect world. Corruption, Adam and Eve, you know, Adam bring his his sin brings corruption and death and suffering into this world. Then God judges the world with a catastrophe at the flood. The fourth sea is confusion, which is at the at the Babel event in Genesis chapter 11. And then when you look at the, the next ones, it's, it's Christ, cross, and consummation. And a lot of times Babel seems to, uh, you know, the confusion one, that seems kind of mini- like a, a minor thing compared to the others, doesn't it, Eric, at, at surface level? Yes. I mean, it doesn't seem like it fits in with these big earth-shattering or, you know, worldview-shaping events until you realize how much explanatory power it has for describing this very thing that we're talking about. Uh, as well as some other things. but uh, So why do we have the different people groups we have? Uh, we would say that a lot of that goes right back to the Babel event. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, you have uh, Noah and his family get off the ark. God tells them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And within a few generations, we see that the people have disobeyed. Rather than scattering and, and filling the earth like they're supposed to, they gather together in the plain of Shinar, and they're building. They decide to build this city and a tower whose top is in the heavens, or, or to, they want to make a name for themselves. So rather than exalting God's name, they're trying to exalt their own name. And there's 
you know, there's a lot of theological things going on there. If you look at, um, well, let me just say this for a minute. We'll get back to Jason's question. Um, here you have man trying to make himself great, make his name great. And what we're going to see in that passage is that God humbles them. And in the very next chapter, God calls a guy named Abram, uh, whom we know as Abraham. Uh, God would later change his name. And he says, Abram, come to a land that I will show you and I will make your name great. So here we have this, this great picture of when we try to exalt ourselves, God humbles us. When we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. So, Eric, what does Babel have to do with the different people groups? How, do we, how does that explain Jason's question? Well, I think it goes into when you separate according to families. And I was going to ask, you know, what are the different ways that we can uh, categorize this when we talk about people groups? Can you call them skin colors? Can you call them ethnicities? Can you call them cultures? Are there other words to describe these people groups? But when this happens at the time of Babel, when you're separated according to families, as the Bible says, you're going out, well, now you're going to only mix and only marry within a certain number of people. And so certain genetic traits would become predominant based on that family group. Uh, this is kind of, uh, I say simple genetics as simple as genetics can be. Uh, <laughs> but guys like John Sanford and others have done a great job of talking about what would happen in these uh, cultural groups, in these, in these families as they spread out, and how certain genetic traits would become predominant over others. And so you're not saying you're not saying that you know there's one family that was really dark skinned they moved to Africa there was a family who was really light skinned that went to like uh, Scandinavia and there was uh, several families that were kind of middle brown and they moved they you know they kind of hung around the Middle East or went to uh, China or maybe all the way over to the Americas is that what you're saying? No, it's not. Yeah, that's right. Okay. I'm, I'm not saying that that's how it happened. I'm saying that as these families spread out, certain traits would become predominant. So if they had, and I wonder what all they are, you know, the high cheekbones or the high calf muscles of some people or the different different physical characteristics would become predominant. But I think there's a couple different things. You've got the, the genetics of just that people group. And then I believe it's kind of a new science. The epigenetic traits would uh, would become predominant based on location of where they go. Based on location, certain genetic information would do better or, or adapt better to hot environment, cold environment, uh, lots of sun environment, uh, perfect environment like down here in Florida. So you know you, you would you would actually adapt to these environments and over the last 4,000 years, that's I think what we've seen happen. Yeah, so what we would say is that we think that uh, the majority of people or, you know, we think that Noah and his family were probably middle brown for the most part. Adam and Eve, we think were middle brown, but with the capacity, with the capability to have uh, the, the genetic variability from light through to dark as far as skin tones go. Um, and that, the, if you think about it, skin tone is really just one minor factor. And I say minor in terms of it, it's genetically, it's not a big issue. Um, it's, it's major as far as its cultural impact and the way people often view that. Uh, unfortunately, it shouldn't be that way, but that's how we've been trained to think. But um, yeah, we would say that more than, more than likely, most of the people there were somewhere middle brown skin tone. And as people scatter, as they separate according to family, certain traits will come out. I mean, think about, you could do the same thing with height, right? Yeah. So Eric, if you have a group of people that move to like um, somewhere in Central Africa who are, are really short on average, you know, a tall person that might be five foot, so like the pygmies. Maybe you have a, a small a people group that are, are pretty small. Well, they're going to continue to be pretty small unless you mix some genetics in there of taller people. Or you could do the same thing with taller people, that they're going to, on average, have taller people until you mix in some genetics for shorter people. And so a very sim similar thing would be for, you know, the skin tones and and how you would how you'd have different um, uh, different skin shades or skin tones come to the forefront in a in a culture. Um, so if somebody who is living in uh, you know, Central Africa and, and this group is mostly dark skin or almost all dark skin, if you don't introduce lighter skin genetics into that, it's gonna, it's, they're just going to continue to have dark skin people. Yeah. And of course, today with world travel, we are seeing more of an, an intermixing in things and we're getting to watch what happens. It's, it's kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. And actually, some of the coolest things that you can ever look up, and, and it, it's unfortunate a lot of people aren't aware of this yet, but some of the coolest pictures you'll ever see, if, look up um, black and white twins. 
yeah. on online. It's just amazing. Two babies, there's... twins. They're yeah. born one black, one white. I actually have a friend who that happened with their family, and uh, yeah. I asked him. Yeah, same parent, same said, same mom, I, same dad. Can I use dad. you guys as an example? She said no. I said okay, I'll <laughs> go online and fix so, somebody else. Yeah, so same mom and same dad. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times skeptics look at that. Oh, that's because the mom had relationships with two different guys you know in a, in a couple of days span and you know one egg was fertilized but now this yeah. is the same mom same dad and the, they're actually twins yeah. and the, usually the parents are middle brown and they can have they have the genetic capability to have light through the dark and and all you do is run a search for black and white twins and maybe we'll get to put a couple pictures up if you're watching this on youtube uh just some extraordinary pictures Hey, Tim, what I'm curious about, because I do like this question, but I typically hear it from a, kind of an agnostic perspective where they're like, oh, yeah, well, where did you think the, if everybody came from Adam and Eve and then they all came from Noah, where did all the different skin, they say races, where did all the races come from? And in mm -hmm. my mind, I'm going, this is no problem if you believe in Christianity. The other options are what are the problem. I mean, if you yeah. tried to like spell out real quick for everybody, what's your other option if if they're not from the Tower of Babel event? Well, if, if they're not from that, you would have uh, the evolutionary models, which generally you would have the out of Africa model would yep. be the, uh, the the one that most people have heard of. I think in recent years, that's shifting a little bit to be more out of the Middle East, but that might be more of our cultural origins rather than humanity's origins, I guess. But yeah, if you think about the evolutionary model, you know, when they're looking in the Olduvai Gorge and, you know, the, the uh, what do they call it? The crescent of, the cradle of civilization. Yeah. Um, or cradle of humanity. And you have um, these ape-like creatures or the, these early humans who are somewhat ape-like. Um, they're always portrayed with what color skin, Eric? Always dark skin. They're always dark-skinned, yep. and uh, so that's where we came from. And as humanity evolves over the millennia, over the even a few million years, you get the different skin shades from that. And, uh, and they but, always show the evolution from ape to dark-skinned people and then gradually to light-skinned people. Yeah. To me, I just look at that picture and I go, yeah, I mean, racism and the idea that we need to get rid of racism is all over out there. And I go, exactly. How are you going to do that if you keep teaching the evolution worldview, which is foundationally a racist worldview? And I, I put it that bluntly on purpose. It really is a racist way to look at the way things have evolved. It is, but you're and you're not accusing every evolutionist of being a racist. No, to, I'm just saying to be that clear. what they believe. Many of them won't come to that conclusion, but what they believe Thankfully, is the foundation for racism itself. Right. Yeah. Well, that's and just a. so somebody didn't get the wrong idea, there are Christians who have been racist as well, and so. But our but the Bible does not teach that. Uh, so people Christians who come to that conclusion are doing that at odds with what scripture says, whereas an evolutionist who reaches that conclusion is doing that and being entirely consistent with the worldview. And that's why for me, this question is uh, every time it's asked, I go, oh man, let's just really think about this. According to the Bible, yeah, we're I, all uh, of one blood. Uh, right. Even even science today, because you, were, you uh, were looking at the genetics of the DNA with the mitochondrial Eve, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, what would be interesting is maybe we could show a picture from uh, one of my colleagues, Nathaniel Jeanson, who's uh, he's a lot smarter than me on this subject. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. He's awesome. He's written a book called Re Replacing Darwin. And uh, in there, he's got an uh, illustration talking about the Human Genome Project where, uh, you know, we've mapped the DNA for so many different people. And he's showing mitochondrial DNA, which is passed down through through the mom, through, from, uh, through female. Um, and... In that, when, when you run it back, you can see that all of humanity comes from... You ready for this, Eric? Let's hear. Th three, three women. How many? Three. Three women, yeah. Noah and, and his wife were on the ark along with his three sons and their three wives. So right. there was enough genetic diversity at this point. They, probably, they weren't sisters or cousins at this point. Uh, and now you have uh, three women showing in the mitochondrial DNA of all women on the earth. Yeah, that, so that's pretty interesting how well that lines up. Um, you know, I think they would say based on their mutation rate that this happened, you know, 200,000 years ago or, you know, the evolutionary view would say, well, yeah, but that's way before what the arc is supposed to be. But um, 
it's just really a difference in calibration on the, the clock itself. But that gets into a lot of <laughs> a lot, lot deeper than what we wanted to go today. It's just it's you know, really it's fascinating. Every time we so... answer these questions, it always seems to rabbit trail to so many other things that I want to talk to you about, about all these. I mean, we oh, man, we could... Yeah, and we've got other things to cover today. So why don't we move on from this one? So if you I, have I think... a rabbit trail that you want us to go on, send in your question to BQA. That's for Bible Q&A, Bible Q&A, at creationtoday.org, bqa at creationtoday.org, and we'd love to answer your question. Speaking of next question, uh, I don't know who wrote this one in, but somebody asked the question, when were the angels created? Uh, it's a big question people have today going, all right, you got the, the angels had to be created at some point. Were they always existing? Were they created? Were they created during the creation week? Tim, what does the Bible say about this one? Well, the Bible didn't give us a specific verse. It didn't say, and on the fourth day, God made the angelic beings, or on the second day. It doesn't tell us that, um, but we can we can look at different places in Scripture that might give us some hints at giving an answer. Now, I think a lot of people just assume they were made in eternity past before God made anything else. Um, I don't know if we can be 100% confident in ruling that out, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that we can <laughs> that we can I say no that's not the right view. verse that comes to my mind that makes me go i don't think it can be eternity past either. yeah got the, in exodus 20 verse 11 when god is giving the 10 commandments to moses and the fourth commandment is remember the sabbath day to keep it holy and then he goes on for a couple of verses and then he says for in six days you're gonna work six days and rest for one and then he says for six days the lord made the heavens plural the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. So everything in the heavens, the earth, the sea, were made during that six-day creation week. Um, so it, the angelic beings would probably be considered to be part of the heavens or in the heavens. They're heavenly beings. They're not in the physical realm necessarily, but in the heavenly realm. And if that was constructed during that six-day period, then they would have been made during that time as well. So let's let's move forward with that as our basis, uh, which day would they have been made? Well, in Job 38, God starts asking Job a series of questions. Where were you, Job, when I did this, when I laid the foundation of the earth, when I did all these things? And he's talking about during creation. And he says, when I laid the foundation of the earth and I stretched, who stretched his line upon it, all these kind of things that he's talking about. And he says, when the morning stars shouted for joy and and the sons of God, or I'm sorry, when the sons of God shouted for joy and the morning stars sang together. So there's parallelism equating sons of God with morning stars. These are angelic beings that are rejoicing when God is laying the foundations of the earth. So does that refer to day three when God makes the dry land appear? When the, you know the, the land itself is considered earth? Uh, just like in English where our word earth can mean the whole planet, it can mean uh, dirt, it can mean the land. Uh, the Hebrew word Eretz is the same way. It can mean the whole planet, it can mean the land, it can mean the soil itself. Um, it, well, I'm not completely sure if it can mean the soil, um, but it certainly can mean the land and it can mean the, the planet. Um, I'll have to look up the other one. Is the same but, when God um, made man out of the dust of the ground? Is that a similar... I, I'd have to look it up. I think it's a different word, but um, okay. th I think the ground would be the Eretz and then uh, if you if you want to talk for a minute, I can pull it up and look. <laughs> well, I, I find it interesting, and because you were also saying that there are, when we actually define angels, the the word angel simply means messenger, and we also see in heaven that there are a a variety of different uh, throughout, throughout the Bible, there are a variety of different types of angels, types of created angelic hosts. So first of all, we know that they are spirit in nature, not physical in nature. Although we also know in the Bible that they can take on the form of matter, they can they can they can appear as a man. That and what do you mean by their, the Bible. What do you mean by the, their spirit? I mean they have some substance. They're localized to a body of some sort. But Correct? I guess I would always think of the angelic beings as well. I mean they have wings. Yeah. So how do you? I've always thought of you know you always think of angels as in the spiritual realm. When you think of demons and angels, you think of that's in the spirit world. Is, and they can take on uh, physical properties. But when the Bible says the cherubim have, you know, three sets of wings. Um, well, the, the seraphim does. The seraphim, the, yes, the seraphim. three sets yeah, of seraphim. wings. Two yeah. to cover, and it talks about that has their feet, has their, you know, their their arms, their their heads. So um, 
I'm curious about yeah. that. So real quickly, before I go to that, the, the dust of the ground, the, those are different words than eret. So ground is actually, and I, this one I should have known, is, is Adama. It's, it's the word for that we get for Adam, or it's a word play with the word for Adam, for man. Um, and dust is a different word as well. So that's not referring to the, that's not the same word as eret uh, for the earth. But um, yeah, I think a lot of times people assume that all angels have wings. The Bible doesn't say that. It um, it does speak of um, the seraphim having six wings, and uh, there are, there's one place in, in Daniel that uh, I think it describes one flying to Daniel, but I, um, but it never says that all angels have wings. That's just a picture we get in our in our day. But um, going back to when they would have been made, the if if laying the foundation of the earth refers to the dry land appearing they have to be made before day three if it's referring to the creation of the earth itself then you have in the beginning god created the heavens plural and the earth genesis 1 1 uh it would be before the earth was made i think it's right at that very first statement in the beginning god created the heavens so the things that are in the heavens would include the angelic beings and therefore they could watch everything else god is making and so they would be included in that statement so uh, I would lean toward the first day, uh, one of the first acts that he that God makes or that he does. and um, I, But at the same time, I would be a little bit tentative with that because we're just not given a clear statement about it when they were made. Now, if I can, uh, I don't know if I can tempt this out there for somebody to write in a question that we can then answer. Uh, but you should write in to BQA at creationtoday.org and say, okay, when God said in Genesis 1:26, "Let us make man in our image," who was He talking to? Somebody should ask that question because I'd love to ask that question to Tim. But right now, we got to move on to the next question. Tim, that would be come on. Would that be a good question? Yeah, that would be really fun, Eric. Thank you. Yes, that would be fun. <laughs> no, I just because this whole idea when were the angels created that ties into so many other interesting concepts out there in the Bible. Things that some of them I've heard before, others I had not been taught, and I'm just going, wow, it's it's deeper and there's there's more out there. Uh, like our last question for today, I went, I, this blew me away. I never, ever even heard some of the possibilities. Uh, so and before alone, you ask it, let me, yeah, before you ask the question, let me just say real quickly, the I did mention in Daniel that it spoke of an angel flying. That's Daniel 9, 21, that, that Gabriel was, it says, was caused to fly swiftly to to Daniel, and I just wanted to verify that, make sure that I wasn't <laughs> uh, remembering things improperly. But it does say uh, that Gabriel flew to him. Whether or not that ha- that means he has wings or not, maybe he's like Superman and has a cape. I, it, you know, yeah. Uh, it just doesn't tell us. So, all right, all right, carry on. All right, are you ready to tackle this question? I think so. This, to me, uh, I think we ought to set it up a little bit after we ask the question, but once we set it up, uh, it's, I had never heard even some of the options that are out there, so I'll let you list the options and then go through each one. I find this fascinating okay. to learn about. Uh, it's a passage in the Bible in Genesis chapter 9, verses uh, 18 through 29, where the Bible talks about uh, Ham going in and seeing his father naked okay so he sees his dad naked then he goes out uh, and it seems like he makes fun of him or something and he talks to his brothers about it and they go back and cover their dad up but then because of this Noah curses Ham's son Canaan he doesn't curse Ham he curses his son Canaan and wait I thought there wasn't there something called the curse of Ham in the Bible well, see, that's the question. So is there a curse of Ham in the Bible, first of all? No. Because <laughs> there's not, is there? That's not No, in there's it. not. And it's it, actually a curse you know, on that, Ham's that, son, Canaan. Right, and so that actually goes back to our first question that we were talking about today, the different people groups, because a lot of people will say, oh, that's the curse of Ham, that's the origin of the darker races, the darker people groups. And no, it isn't at all. That's right. not what is talked about in the Bible. The Bible never even says Ham was cursed. It was, And it was I think Canaan. that's such a racist remark because in that it says a servant of servants shall he be. And people have used that to say, well, because the uh, we brought blacks over as slaves, therefore that proves it. When you study history, there have been more white people enslaved throughout history than 
black people enslaved throughout history. Slavery is a very interesting topic. We ought to talk about that sometime. What is real slavery? Was Does the Bible condone slavery? Somebody please write in about slavery so that we can talk about that, okay? Well, BQA really, at creation.org. But to get really back to this. You really up a can of worms of that statement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, and I don't know the breakdown. What I do know is that um, I, I think that slavery, you know, uh, the way that it was done in America is is very wrong and is not biblical. Um, the yeah, well, let's not let's not get into that. No, I, don't I know how it breaks I didn't want. I just wanted to attempt it out there. These are my little <laughs> teasers out there to say, hey, come on, guys, write in because that is a very. I did a couple of different papers on slavery, and it's a very interesting topic to talk about. Yeah, I know that with the Roman Empire, about one quarter of its population were, were they were slaves. Uh, during the first century. So there was a huge amount of slavery going on in the Roman Empire. And it wasn't just, it really wasn't based on skin color at all. It was Correct. based on the people groups that were conquered. And, and then throughout throughout the centuries also, you had uh, Islam enslaving lots of Europeans. I mean, yeah. that's where I, I get the, uh, the, if you look that up, you'll find out that there were more Europeans enslaved than uh, the total number of, of uh, black people from Africa that were enslaved. And uh, it's it's a fascinating but, look at. Yeah, but either way, it's not like it's a race. Like, oh, this was this was worse than the other. Not they're, a race. they're all they're all bad. That's <laughs> that's kind exactly. of the point. Slavery. Well, and then so does the Bible condone slavery? If if slavery is wrong, why does the Bible condone it? Is what some people would say. But that gets into a whole. That's other a different subject. question. Yeah, that's a different question. All so. right, so let's get back to to Noah and uh, Ham and the curse on not Ham but Canaan, and no, that was not the first black person, the mark on Canaan. So go ahead. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you, well, you already set up the passage pretty well, but should we read it? Yeah, yeah, first? let's read that. You want me to read it? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, Genesis 9, 18 through 29, follow along if you're watching on YouTube. If you're not, just imagine this with me. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. All right, there's the passage. Uh, interesting, and yet there might be so much more in this than I had ever dreamed of. Tim, take us through this. Why did God or Noah curse Canaan instead of Ham, who apparently did something to Noah. Yeah, so what did Canaan do that was, or I'm sorry, what did Ham do that was so bad that, that Noah would actually curse Canaan? That, that's the, the strange part, and that's, what, uh, that's why some of the different theories, I think, fall apart. So let's go through the, there's four different views that uh, people have usually, uh, that um, scholars have generally promoted. Um, and just a little word of caution here for our listeners. Um, the following discussion is probably kind of PG-13-ish because Definitely of the subject matter. PG-13. Yeah, so there's a couple of, of views that are, um, that yeah, you may not want your younger uh, kids to hear. So this is your your parental warning at this point. We'll, we'll try to keep the language um, soft, <laughs> you know, at a PG level, but there are some mature subjects. So just just so you guys know, there's a little bit of warning. So the four different views. Um, the first one is uh, the voyeurism view. Uh, that is that Ham basically just saw his dad naked and then went out and told his brothers. The second one is the is a, the castration view, that Ham castrated Noah. The third one is the paternal rape view, that, that Ham raped his father. And the fourth one is the maternal rape or incest view, that Ham either raped his mom or had 
consensual relations with her. So, all right. Uh, so I got to tell you right off, Tim, when you list those four views, I have heard of the first one, the one where he just saw his dad and it was like a disrespect thing. And I had heard the uh, third one uh, as almost a, uh, a homosexual type act against his father. Uh, those are the two I had heard. I'd never heard of the idea that he could have castrated his dad or that he actually committed incest and, and, uh, and had relations with his mother. Uh, so this is like, all right, you got to go into this and kind of kind of walk us through this. Sure. This yeah, well, the first thing I think we got to do is make sure that we're not making excuses for Noah's behavior. You know, there's some people who, you know, Noah's a biblical hero. He is faithful. We see before the flood, he's a righteous man. He does everything God calls him to do. Um, and then after the flood, we read, okay, he gets drunk. And, and some Christians are like, well, maybe he didn't know that uh, fermentation occurred because maybe it didn't happen before the flood. Now it does for the first time. So this surprises them. We don't, we don't have to make it excuses for somebody who makes mistakes because we all make mistakes and the bible doesn't hide the the flaws of its heroes uh we know about david's sins we know about solomon's sins we know you know we we know their shortcomings because the bible doesn't hide that from us and and really that's a, a great testimony to the uh historicity of these events it's not they're not sugarcoating it uh like some religions might um so we, we don't have to to come up with excuses for him. You know, people have tried to, they've tried to figure out why was Noah drinking? Um, maybe he liked the taste of wine. Um, maybe some people say maybe his wife died. And so he was depressed and, and started drinking to get over the pain. Or maybe he was so distraught over the fact that every single person on earth, other than, you know, the eight people with him, or the, you know, seven other people with him, um, were, were killed in the flood. We don't know. The Bible didn't tell us. It just tells us that he, grew a vineyard and he drank from the wine and became drunk. So uh, let's not make excuses for what happened there. You might want to speculate all you, all you want, but uh, it's not a, it's just not, it's not uh, germane to this question. Let me, let me ask so, you this, Tim. Is it mm -hmm. possible, because I've heard and was taught that maybe there was no such thing as a fermented wine before the flood, so he didn't even know that he was going to be getting drunk? Well, you know, at the Ark Encounter, we show people in the pre-flood world in a diorama, like in a, a drinking party. So they had wine. No, I'm just kidding. We can't say just because we made it that way. The Bible doesn't tell us one way or the other. We know that the world was full of wickedness. It was, uh, they were, Jesus talked about they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Um, that, that seems like drinking maybe of alcoholic um, yeah, it certainly was alcoholic in in Jesus time and you could get drunk then and so when he was But he was talking about the days that, of Noah. But he was talking about the days of Noah, people right. eating and drinking, marrying, giving marriage. It, I don't think he was talking about drinking water. No, um, I, I agree. I'm saying because that did happen in Jesus day and he was giving this as an example, hey, when this happened, they were eating and drinking, you know, and it was that same idea of the drinking the wine um you know, once once they got to a certain point, you started giving them the bad wine because they had enough. They they couldn't tell it was it was. Yeah, the bad it just does I don't think that you can make a good argument for the, the idea that it never fermented prior to the flood. There, I don't know what would you know what would be different in physics that would prevent such a thing from happening. So I I don't I think it's um it's unnecessary for us to try to propose that. So let's go through the four views here real quick. Yeah. Um, the, the first one, voyeurism. That, that um, this is kind of the straightforward reading for, in English. Like Ham walks in and he sees his dad naked um, and walks out and kind of tells his brothers. He, he we don't read what he told his brothers, just that hey, dad's naked in the tent. Um, and what what does but, voyeurism mean? Voyeurism is trying to see people who are naked. So you have people who would carry like a camera on a on a selfie stick down by their feet or something like that and they will like put it underneath a, a woman's skirt or something like that they can be arrested for voyeurism or now i uh, know thank you yeah all right so uh, i should yeah. have googled that one pervert i'm like why would you call it voyeurism but now i now i got it that's why see you learned something Even i, learned, if you learn I, I learned something on the bible q a podcast today yeah. Uh, so anyways, you know, maybe the idea is that Ham was really disrespectful, like, oh, dad's such a, 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 a lush dad, such a, you know, look at this guy. He's, he would have waste. I mean, he was this faithful man and now he's just a, a drunk and maybe Ham is mocking him in some way. And um, so he's being really disrespectful to Noah. So that, that would be the 
the really bad thing here. I mean, was it was it wrong for a son to see his dad in his birthday suit? Does the Bible ever say, Not, hey, if you happen to see your dad without clothes on, that is a sin or that's really wrong. It, do, it doesn't tell us there's that. There's something about uh, being uncovered. i got to remember what that passage is. But it, well, and, and you have things about uh, seeing your father's nakedness, and we'll get to that in a little okay, bit. Okay, okay. Um, so, but if that's what happened, Ham did something really but Ham did something disrespectful to, in some way. Why would that warrant cursing his son Canaan? What? You know, why? Why would that be Noah's reaction? Well, Ham saw me naked, and then he kind of mocked me. So I'm going to curse my grandson. Yeah, that's true. That, that's a little weird. It doesn't really make sense of what's going on in the passage. Um, the second view is the the castration view, and that one seems really bizarre at first. I've never heard uh, this. Yeah, so the idea is that Ham castrates Noah, and again, it seems pretty bizarre until you dig a little deeper. There, there are a couple. I'm going to say very tenuous arguments that would support it. That would that make a little bit of sense. Um, just a little bit of sense. <laughs> okay. Um, there's a there's a similarity to the to a Greek myth between Uranus and Gaia. So this is the um, the the Earth and sky, the sky god Uranus and the Earth goddess Gaia, and uh, they were uh, in the uh, process of, of um, they, they were going to have a sexual relationship, and their children, who are the Titans, they had six children, uh, he attempted, Uranus attempted to lie with his wife Gaia, and four of their sons came down and held him down, while another son, Kronos, uh, castrated him with a sickle. Now, that seems really weird, and why would that have any relationship to what we're talking about? Well, the children of Uranus and Gaia are the, the origin of all the people of the earth. Just like after the flood, Noah's children and their descendants are the, that's the origin of all the people on earth. And here's the other connection. The name of one of their sons that held him down, here's the sons. They have Krios, Koyos, Iapetus, and Hyperion. Or Iapetus. That name is the Greek word for Japheth. Huh. So one of the sons who holds down the the father, I guess you could say, of all humanity, um, is named Japheth. So there's a that's an interesting connection, and he and he's involved in doing something to his father while his father is uh, presumably naked. So you can see why there's a loose or a very tenuous connection there. Um, and it, it, the other thing it does is it possibly explains why Noah cursed Ham's son Canaan. Because if we assume that in Genesis 10, when we look at how how Ham's sons are listed, Canaan is the fourth one listed. Mm. If he happens to be the fourth oldest, maybe the reason that he gets to be he gets cursed is because he's the fourth one, and Ham's actions prevented Noah from having a fourth son. So, see what I mean where I said there's some very tenuous arguments? I mean, there's a little bit of a thread there, but I, again, I don't think that it's yeah. a real Can we go to Greek mythology argu- and then go back and say, therefore, yeah, it's... Right. And there's, there's no indication, there's nothing about castration in the passage. There's no, no wording at all like Ham did this, you know, that he, he took a knife and, you know, or any, right. of, or any of those things. That it just isn't described. Um, so... That doesn't seem to be the best argument, even though it does give a little bit of idea why the fourth son, why Canaan gets cursed. So the third one is the paternal rape view, uh, that, that Ham raped his father. This one is probably a little more popular in our day, and I think primarily because the uh, the issue of homosexuality has yeah. become has really gone to the forefront in our culture. Uh, and that's a different issue as well. But uh, it's probably the most disturbing one if you think about it, that a son would actually do that to his father. You could see why um, Noah would be very upset with what happened. Um, so there's a couple of arguments that people use. In Leviticus 20, it, it uses the idea of seeing a person's nakedness. That's an idiom for, for sexual activity. And so Ham sees Noah lying naked. Maybe that's the similar wording that there's a sexual uh, re- uh, activity that's taking place. Uh, Genesis 9.24 talks about how Noah awoke and realized what his son had done to him. And so people would point to that and say, here's... Um, this is more than so just looking. Uh, it's more than just yeah. looking. Ham did something to his father. And so there's that paternal rape view. Again, the problem is, uh, one of the major problems is um, the 
the idiom about seeing your father's nakedness that Leviticus 20 talks about is not about having sex with your father. Uh, we'll, we'll come to that in just a little bit. But the other problem is, why curse Canaan? Again, why does Canaan bear the brunt of something that his father would have done to his grandfather? It, it, there's no... It doesn't make any connection. There's no sense in, in Noah waking up and saying, Ham, because you did this awful, terrible thing to me, your fourth son, Canaan, I'm going to curse him. Uh, there's, there's no, there, there doesn't seem to be any connection, so I don't know why that would be the right view. Um, but the fourth view, let's take a look at this one, is the maternal rape or maternal incest view. It states that Ham had either raped his mom or had a consensual relationship with her while Noah was passed out from his drinking. This blows um, my mind. I've never heard this one before. So this yeah, and at first, van at first glance, it seems odd because it talks about Noah becoming uncovered in his tent. Right. And Ham seeing his father's nakedness. Um, so the first argument uh, comes from numerous passages that about the language from in Leviticus where a person sees someone else's nakedness. Um, now the wording is just a tiny little bit different in Genesis 9. We're told that Ham saw the nakedness of his father. It doesn't say that he uncovered his nakedness. But the book of Leviticus uses those two phrases interchangeably at one point. So Leviticus 20 verse 17. If a man takes his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his, his nakedness, it is a wicked thing. And they shall be cut off in the sight of the people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness. He shall bear his guilt. So seeing somebody's nakedness is the same as uncovering someone's nakedness in that verse, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, is it more than just seeing somebody's nakedness? So let's take a look. Um, it, it, it's not that they just saw each other naked. It means that they had an incestuous relationship. Leviticus 20 verse 11 says, The man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. So Leviticus 20.11 is the person who, um, who... Who lies with his father's wife. Has uncovered his father's nakedness. So seeing your father's nakedness is the same as uncovering your father's nakedness. And uncovering your father's nakedness means that you had a relationship with your father's wife. Wow. Um, so And there, there's more than just that one. Um, so Leviticus 18, verses 7 and 8. The nakedness of your father or in the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. So the nakedness of your father's wife is your father's nakedness. That's Cursed is, uh, Deuteronomy 27, 20. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed. So these passages specifically forbid a man from engaging, engaging with sexual activity with his own mother or possibly with a stepmother. Um, and there's other verses that speak of a woman's nakedness as being the nakedness of her husband. You can see that in Leviticus 18, verses 14 and 16, and also Leviticus 20, 21, uh, 20 verses 21 and 21. Um, so why would Ham do something that's so vile? If that's what he did, let's say that that's, and that's consistent with the language we see in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, why would he do something like that? Uh, maybe the clue is in is found in looking at other places in Scripture where something similar happens. So, and and maybe there's a clue in the fact that Ham went right out and told his brothers what had happened. Yeah, if you go have an incestuous relationship with your mother, why would you go say, "Hey, brothers, just so you know, here's what's going on." Right? Isn't that weird? That would be that seems like something you would try to keep secret, right? right? Cover that up. Yeah. Unless there's a motive in why you did it. Now, let's take a look at other places in Scripture. You have Reuben, Jacob's son, who, uh, his oldest son, who goes and lies with uh, one of Jacob's concubines. So a very similar idea. He is going to sleep with his father's wife, or at least his father's concubine. Uh, when uh, Absalom tries to take the throne from David and actually succeeds for a short time, uh, he takes over Jerusalem and David's on the run. Uh, he talks to his advisors and says, "What you know, Absalom says, what, what should I do? And... Um, he's, they say, well, the first thing you need to do is go up on the roof of the palace and um, have sex with uh, your father's concubines that are left behind. And so that's what he does in view of all Israel. He, he goes up on the, on the roof of the palace and sleeps with uh, David's concubines. Uh, it's a weird thing for us to think about that. But Adonijah tries to do something very similar. Another one of David's sons, when, when David is old and on his deathbed, basically, they bring a, a young maiden to him named Abishag. And uh, she is there to lie with him, to, to presumably to keep him warm, but also to see if he is 
still um, potent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, potent. <laughs> Maybe we can say, that. and it tells us that he's not the the the, the king did not lie with her. Um, but what happens next is is the interesting part and in why it's relevant to what we're talking about. You have um, so when David's about just about to die, Adonijah tries to take the throne. He tries to make himself king, and so he brings all these advisors off to the you know outside of the city, and they're kind of they're throwing this festival where they're going to call him king. And meanwhile, um, Bathsheba and Solomon uh, go to speak with the king and say, hey, aren't, isn't Solomon supposed to be on the throne? So David names him the king, and then Adonijah is afraid because Solomon's gonna, he thinks Solomon's going to kill him. And, and Solomon basically says, well, I won't as long as you prove yourself. Uh, I'm not going to do that. So a little bit later, Adonijah comes in to talk to Bathsheba, and she says, he says, you know, the kingdom was mine, basically. Um, but now Solomon has it. Can you just grant me one request? And she's like, sure, what is it? Um, I'll go talk to Solomon about it. Um, well, give Abishag to me as wife. Wow. And then when Solomon finds out, Solomon's like, all right, he needs to die. Because this well, is the last woman that was with David. Yes. And so what, what we see in each of these cases and what we see in ancient Near Eastern cultures is that when a person attempts to lie with their father's wife, they're essentially trying to say, I am taking over dad's position. I'm in charge now. I'm the authority here. So why did Ham go out and tell his brothers? According to this view, it's because he's saying, guys, I'm in charge now. Wow. Now, here's here's where this gets really interesting. If, and this is an if, the Bible doesn't tell us, but it does seem to hint at it because twice in the passage before we're even told what Ham did, whenever it says Ham, it says, and Ham, the father of Canaan, verse 16, and Ham, the father of Canaan, verse 22. Yeah. It's stressing that Ham's the father of Canaan before he even tells us Ham did anything. Yeah, before it tells us that all you know, the descendants of Ham as well, and the descendants of the others. Right. And so if Ham sleeps with his mother, and she becomes pregnant as a result of that, and that child happens to be Canaan, Ham is the father of an illegitimate child named Canaan. Now we understand why Noah curses Canaan. Canaan. He would be an illegitimate child. It's not that Noah is saying, this child will be... Um, scorned and looked down upon and we're going to hate this child. That's not what he's saying. He's not going to say, he's not saying God's going to smite this child or anything. It's just that this the people that come from him are not going to thrive like those who come from the legitimate children. But there's a connection in Genesis that's almost the exact same thing. Uh, when uh, Lot is supposed to flee from the city of Sodom and they, uh, you know, his wife gets turned into a pillar of salt and they reach the mountains. It's Lot and his two daughters. Well, what do his daughters do, Eric? They they end up going in, getting them drunk, and sleeping with them, trying to trying to say, "Hey, if we got to raise up seed, we got to have kids in order to continue." Right, because the the, everybody they knew in the cities around them were wiped out during you know during that destruction, and so they say, "We got to preserve our father's line." And so they each bear a son, and their names are Moab and Ben Ami, who would become the fathers of the Moabites and the Ammonites, respectively. So here's what you would be having in let's say the maternal incest or maternal rape view is correct, the fourth view, you would have the origin of the Canaanites. And with Lot, what happens there, you have the origin of the Ammonites and the Moabites. Wow. And these are like Israel's three... Big enemies. Biggest... Uh, these are the ones that have to go conquer. Yeah, those are the ones that are in the land or around the land that they have to go through. Uh, th these are Israel's enemies. So as Moses is le leading the people toward the promised land, and as Joshua is going to lead him into the land, who are the people they run into? The Canaanites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and Genesis is telling us they are all illegitimate children. See, I'd never heard all that before, and when you first say the view, I'm kind of like, yeah, right. Then you go and explain this, and it's like, well, it, it does lot. explain a lot of stuff. Yeah, I think it has the most explanatory power. I, I don't know that you can prove that that's exactly what's going on. So I'm, I'm not going to be dogmatic here. And I don't want any of our listeners to think, oh, this is the, Tim says this is the right view. I, I think it explains things the best. But there's assumptions. You have to assume that she gets pregnant as a result of what happened. It doesn't yeah. say, and Noah's wife conceived, and then she divorced. It doesn't tell us that. It, it's, you have to assume that. Uh, when Noah awakes and, and sees uh, and learns what his youngest son had done to him, do um, you have to assume there's a gap in time there that, that Noah wakes up from his drunkenness and then, what, maybe months down the road he realizes, uh, my wife's pregnant and I didn't do it. Um, 
and then he finds out Ham did it, or maybe once the child is born and named Canaan, that's when, when Noah pronounces this curse. Uh, again, there's some assumptions that go into it, but as far as explaining why Canaan is the one who gets cursed, this one, I think, is by far the the has the most explanatory power. It explains why Ham went out and told his brothers what he did. Uh, it, it explains the language that's used about seeing your father's nakedness. Um, so it, it seems to make the most sense no matter how uncomfortable it makes us feel as far as what might have happened there. But And it's also consistent with what we see in other cases uh, in scripture and in, that, in ancient cultures where a man who tried to take over his father's role and his authority uh, would try to steal his woman as well. Unbelievable. Well, let us know what you think. Write into bqa at creationtoday.org and uh, I will be more than happy to pass on your question to Tim, who will give us the answer. This is fantastic. Tim, thanks, man. I'd never heard some of this stuff before. Very, very interesting. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, no matter how disturbing it might be, um, sometimes, you know, I think people like the first one because it's, it, you can get away with saying that one in Sunday school. Yeah, that's uh, true. He, he, yeah, you can teach that one and not get awkward. Yeah, the other three, they're all kind of awkward and, and difficult. But, you know, the Bible describes some things that are pretty gruesome and pretty um, heinous. It doesn't say this is a good thing, but right. it just describes them for us. And it doesn't glorify them. It doesn't go into detail. A lot of times it uses idioms to explain that. So seeing your father's nakedness would be the same as sleeping, having a sexual relationship with your with your mom or with his wow. wife, uh, your stepmom. Um and, and so no, the Bible it, is not condoning that just because it talks about right. it. Right. Okay. <laughs> exactly. That, that's the point. Yeah. Uh, that what Ham did was wrong. On all four views, they would say what Ham did was wrong. But this one, I think, makes the most sense of, of the rest of the passage and wow. the other passages we see. So um, maybe someday we'll find out for sure which one's the right one. But I, I think that one, yeah... It, from what I understand at this point, that one I think is uh, probably the best answer. That's maybe, there's, maybe there's a fifth one I don't know about yet. All right, well, thanks for hanging out with us on the BQA podcast. Tim, I'm looking forward to the next episode where we've got some more already lined up. Great questions for episode 10. So check us out next week for the BQA episode number 10. All right, you guys have a great day. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Bible Q&A podcast. If you have a question you would like Tim and Eric to address on the program, please send an email to bqa at creationtoday.org. The views expressed on the Bible Q&A podcast do not necessarily represent those of other ministries with which Tim and Eric are affiliated. Thank you for listening.